we're looking for like funny Murphy's Law kind of Christmas stories, not like the year Grandma keeled over at the dinner table or, <laughs> you know, the year that your family got into physical violence at Christmas, but like any Murphy's Law kind of holiday Christmas story. Anybody got one that they'd be willing to share? And Marcus will we'll pass the mic. So come on, man. I told you guys Everybody's about Christmas this in was the perfect. article. He seems to be headed somewhere. Charlotte. Charlotte Newman, all right. Well, we were all out at Dina's house for Christmas Eve, and we were getting ready to celebrate, and you'll never guess what happened. The lights all went out on the tree. <laughs> so, so it was a dark Christmas. <laughs> so we have no lights for Christmas Eve. Okay, no lights for Christmas Eve. What else we got? Because you cannot convince me that that is the... Somebody's pointing me somewhere. Oh, here we go. Um, I re my first husband and I, uh, because we had to go to so many families and so many parties on Christmas and Christmas Eve, we kept on saying, gee, it would be nice just to be able to stay home with the kids. So wouldn't you know, the next year we all came down with the Hong Kong flu. And we had to be home. I, we were supposed to have everybody over our house for Christmas Eve. I had hired a Christmas uh, Santa Claus to come for the kids. And we had to cancel everything. And we were so miserable. So we have never wished to be by ourselves again. <laughs> See, puke and diarrhea, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. Hey. Hi. When I was a little girl, my sister came home from a college, and she was carrying this brown box with her. She set it down in the kitchen, and it began to move. And no sooner did uh, she set it down when out pumps this little monkey that immediately <laughs> headed for our Christmas tree. And now, those of you that know me, if you think I'm short, you should have met my mother. So here's a vision of my mother jumping, trying to get this little monkey out of the top of this Christmas tree, while the rest of us were just like cracking up laughing. Uh, we got the monkey out. I'm not sure what happened to it after that. I honestly never saw it again. <laughs> I try not to think about it. I think it went to live on a farm somewhere. But um, yeah, that is one of my best Christmas memories. Okay, deranged monkeys now in the picture. <laughs> Anything else? We got, we got Joe. Yeah, by the way, Bonnie and Tim Cray. Tim was an elder of Polaris. Bonnie, a fixture. And they yeah. moved to Florida. Um, they've come back to taunt us before the cold weather comes in. <laughs> so welcome back, guys. It is always good to have you here. Ah, uh, <laughs> nice. <clears throat> Anything I think, else? I think we got Joe Violi up here. I saw right. a hand. We'd have, like, special running music for one. So when we were kids growing up, there were six kids in our family, three boys, three girls, and the boys were always in trouble and doing bad things. And it was Joe once punched a goat and it died. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> Wasn't during Christmas, though. Um, that is a good story. We'll tell that another time. Um, but we're all there. We're in trouble. My brother Paul and I are, you know, really making my mom mad and... She stands up and she yells at us and she's like, if you kids don't stop doing what you're doing right now, 
I'm going to take all those Christmas decorations down, wrap them all up, put them back up in the attic, and we're going to be done with Christmas for this year. And everybody's quiet. My brother Paul goes, can I help? (laughs) (laughs) It's classic. Parenting gone wrong. All right. Um, We got, like, one, one more. No, okay, we need to move on anyway. Um, oh, oh, was there somebody back there? Yep. Okay, I'm sorry, we got one back there. <laughs> I'm gonna make it From the music. Nebraska folks, I think, oh. huh? Well, it's been known to snow in Nebraska at Christmas time. And so one Christmas, I'd invited my mom, my dad, my brother, his wife, their three boys, to come to our house for Christmas. We have a big family, too. My neighbor across the street, husband and four kids, had been invited to another town in Nebraska. A blizzard came. So I thought, well, my family won't come from Omaha, so probably I should invite the neighbors. So I invited her. Everybody came. Unbeknownst to me, the element on my oven went out. And so dinner was at 1, but at 4.30, there was still no turkey ready. We finally moved the turkey across the street. It finally got a little bit done. I said I had 21 people, a 20-pound turkey, and we had 19 pounds of turkey left when they all got home. I was so exhausted, and my husband said, what do you want me to do with the rest of this turkey? I said, just throw it away. I don't ever want to see it again. But no, he cut it all up and froze it, and we made soup, and everything turned out great. But uh, it was a disaster, because everybody now says, is your turkey going to be done? Are you sure your turkey's going to be done? (laughs) That's what I'm talking about, those instant holiday classics. But we all have those tensions and things that come up around family. And sometimes they're funny, and sometimes they're much worse. And we have those family members that you know you're just going to have to tolerate at family gatherings. Would you like to hear the dumbest thing that I have ever heard in my life? Sure you would. Poindexter Holiday Gathering um, on my mom's side, so really it's the Morton Holiday Gathering gathering, and I want to make that distinction. Um, We were all sitting around talking about energy conservation, gas prices, alternative sources of fuel, things like that. And we began to talk about those giant windmills. Fascinating conversation. those giant windmills that are popping up all over the place that generate electricity by harnessing the power of the wind. And a person who happened to be at my family gathering, in talking about those windmills, middle-aged man, working, educated, yeah, they're putting up all of those windmills, but what are they going to do when because of those windmills, all the wind is gone. (laughs) The dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. (coughs) There's nothing you can even do, because you can't, it's not even like you want to take that opportunity to educate, it's just, when wind becomes a consumable. So anyway, we all know that there is a great amount of family stuff that happens at holidays. So we are walking through the book of Matthew, and we started in Matthew chapter 3 back in September, but now we're going to move to Matthew chapter 1 because that's the Christmas story. And Matthew starts out his gospel with a look at Jesus' family history. 
Now, I want to remind those of you who are just joining us that the book of Matthew is one of the four Gospels. These are the um, accounts of Jesus' life from you know, his eyewitness followers. And Matthew specifically wrote his Gospel to what people group? The Jews. So he's trying to tell the Jews, and when you've got to kind of put yourself in a Jewish first century context to get a lot of the nuances uh, out of the book of Matthew, but he's trying to tell them this is... This is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of Israel, and this is what it means for you. And this is very significant as we look through the, the book of, of Matthew, and especially in Matthew chapter 1. Now, a um, couple of things to point out, and that is that it was very common in Jesus' day and time uh, for a ruler or leader or otherwise great person to have their lineage listed out. And it was a way to sort of solidify their authenticity and, and point toward, I guess, the kind of stock, you know, the bloodline that this individual whose lineage was being done was, was sort of made of. It pointed toward their leadership. So Matthew starts out by giving Jesus lineage which was very consistent with what you might expect from a king, messiah, ruler kind of person. So I'm going to read this. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess before I start, I want one more thing. <coughs> I'm about to read you a long list of names that's going to maybe make you drool out of boredom. It's brutal. But let's do this exercise. What comes to mind when I say George Washington? Oh, somebody. Who is George Washington? President. What's the significance? First president. You might think of a military leader, right? And, and um, integrity and, and, and leadership and, and, and politics. And generally, good feeling or bad feeling when you think about George Washington? Good. So all I have to do is say George Washington, and your mind's going. You know who I'm talking about. Bonnie and Clyde. Not so good. They were, right, robbers, gangsters. They, they uh, worked together, team. Al Capone, another one. You know, organized crime, prohibition. You think of the negative kinds of things. John Elway. Red Right 88. LeBron James. Okay, in American culture, there are all sorts of people today from all, Dr. Kevorkian, Osama Bin Laden. These are names that because we are you know, 2011 Americans familiar with our history, we can just say a name and all of a sudden there's like this explosion of thinking, good feelings, bad feelings, feelings of scandal. You know, Monica Lewinsky. These, you know, the explosions of thoughts. Marilyn Monroe. Okay, so, so when Matthew is listing the, the lineage of Jesus... He's doing so to a Jewish crowd who are very familiar with these names. Because, like, I went to Bible college to study the Old Testament, but the average listener in the time of Jesus, Jewish listener, would have known the Old Testament way more than I do. So they hear these names, and they're just, they know the story, they know the setting, they know the times, okay? So let's take a look at this. <coughs> this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, right away, we see him mention David 
and Abraham. So we know that this lineage is going to go a long way to try to link Jesus with David, and here's why. David was the greatest king over Israel. He's the one who essentially established Israel and, and put Israel on the map. He brought Israel into greatness. People feared Israel and respected Israel because of his leadership. So there were strong beliefs that the Messiah, when he came, the promised Messiah, would, would, um, would, would have strong connections to the leadership of David. So right away he says, this is a son of David. And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, every Jew knew that Abraham was the promised one who was told, through your offspring, I'm going to bless the world. So they would expect then that the Messiah would come through Abraham. So we got Abraham ties, we got David ties. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz. Boaz the, fa- the mother of Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Robam. Robam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. After the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihu, Abihu, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Iliud, Iliud, the father of Eliazor, Eliazor, the father of Matam, Matam, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all. From Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, what in the world does that have to do with your life today? And this is what I love about this passage of Scripture, because on first reading, it seems completely useless. Like, that's the reason people don't read the Bible. But when you learn what was going on there, um, now first of all, I know that that there are a few of you who are pregnant and maybe looking for names. And you're wasting your money on these baby books when you have those names. Um, But but let's let's talk a little bit. Let's start talking about that number 14. Isn't that strange that he wants to point out, you know, there were 14... um, 14 generations to this, 14 generations to this, 14 generations to this. But when you understand that this was written to a first century Jew, and you know that the ancient Jews were fascinated by numerology, it begins to make a little more sense, okay? And this is, this is just a little bit of trivia. So Jews were fascinated by numerology. In the Hebrew language, every letter was assigned a number. And David's number... D, V, D, because there were no vowels. David's number was 14. And because people were so fascinated by numerology, they knew whose number was what. 
So when you say David, not only are you thinking about the stories of the great king, but you're also thinking about the number 14. So Matthew wants to point out that even the lineage, as you work through it, points to Jesus as a son of David because of the numerology of 14. Okay? But then we're going to go back. And we're going to think about this first century audience listening to see how relevant this Jesus might be. And we're going to think about what this list of names may have meant to those people. So he starts out with Abraham. And all in all, Abraham was seen as a very positive figure. And he wants us to know that Abraham is in Jesus' family. But there's this issue with Abraham. Now, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the embodiment of God in the flesh, the holy God of Israel in the flesh. You might think that his lineage would be perfect too, but when we get to Abraham, we're talking about a man who once prostituted his wife for his own protection. He literally offered his wife to a ruler, saying, have your way with her, just leave me alone. Now that's an issue, right? And I wonder if in the first century when these listeners were hearing this for the first time, I wonder if maybe they thought about the way they've treated a spouse in the past and had some guilt and maybe felt some distance from God and maybe, you know, God just couldn't accept me because of the way I treated my spouse, the things that I did. But hey, this is Abraham who's a part of Jesus' family. And maybe they felt like God was a step closer to them because of this lineage. And you go on and and, and we see Jacob now being mentioned. And and this is the, the interesting thing is that Matthew didn't have to do this. Like, there didn't have to be a lineage. He didn't have to link Jesus with anybody. He could have just said, like, this is how the story starts. And Jesus isn't linked with anybody on earth because we're all a bunch of spiritual losers and sinners. But he doesn't. It's like he wants to draw this in. And and so then he mentions Jacob, whose very name can mean liar, and who schemed and lied to make his fortune in life. Now, Jacob had some very good and noble qualities, but he was also a liar. And I wonder if there weren't people in that first century who struggled because they were pathological liars, like beyond even when it made sense to lie. They had that sickness of lying. And they felt the guilt and they felt the shame. And it was such a battle for them and they felt their distance from God because of their lying problem. But here's Jacob, and he's in the family. He's a liar, and he's in the family. And maybe they felt a little bit closer to Jesus, to this God who became flesh, when they found out that liars are in God's family. But then, and this is craziness, We get down to verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, 
whose mother was Tamar. Now, women weren't typically a part of the lineage. Matthew breaks culture to bring Tamar and Judah. Judah was man, but Tamar was his daughter-in-law. He breaks culture to bring in Tamar. This story is found in Genesis 38. One of the most scandalous stories in all of the Bible. Like, I wouldn't even be comfortable putting the words of Genesis 38 up on the screen in an open audience. Now you're all on your smartphones, like trying to... Um, Genesis 38 is embarrassing. Do you know that, that when they, as they uncover these linea, linea, genealogies, these lineages of the great kings, oftentimes there will be gaps for decades. And what archaeologists are realizing is it's because these kings are leaving out the ugly stuff. Like they don't want to be associated with that. It was a big deal in Jewish history what tribe you were a part of, of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there was, you know, there were, there were 12 brothers and they all had descendants and they were the tribes. And Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is a part of the tribe of Judah, whose daughter-in-law was Tamar. And here's the deal. Now Tamar was a widow. And Tamar decided to disguise herself as a prostitute. And her father-in-law, Judah, decides to hire her unknowingly. Now, in Middle East culture, you keep all that is unnecessary covered up. So, it's plausible, okay, in history, that you could not recognize your own daughter-in-law in that sort of a situation. She gets pregnant with his child, with her father-in-law's child. There are other horrible scandals and just graphic material in Genesis chapter 38. I have no doubt that in the first century when like John or one of the other apostles read Matthew's stuff, he's like, why did he put that? It's uncommon and odd that he would go out of his way to include a woman, but also a woman with the level of scandal Like, this should have made him just skip the whole genealogy, knowing that she was a part of it, and Judah was a part of it. But he didn't. And I think we can get two things from this. Number one, it really speaks to the historical reliability of the Gospels, because in literary criticism, you look for things like that. Things that don't necessarily, like, that shouldn't be there, but that kind of should be there. And so we can have greater confidence in the realness of the story. But also, I think the reason and the only reason it's plausible that it's in there is because he wanted us to know that prostitution and sexual brokenness is in the family of God. Because I guarantee in that first century there were people in that crowd who listened to this being read or read it when it was written who lived with a great deal of sexual baggage. 
and brokenness. And I've known enough people to know that this is the kind of thing that can make you feel separated million miles away from God. And then they hear that there's a connection in Jesus' family to the sexually broken. And I'm betting that they felt a lot closer, like the Messiah, God in the flesh, was a lot closer to where they are at that moment. And he goes on to mention Rahab. He throws her in there too. Rahab, the pagan prostitute. She didn't act the right way. She didn't believe the right stuff. He throws a Moabite in there, which is the equivalent of saying, you know, an Iranian Muslim. Not that there's anything, not that God doesn't love Iranian Muslims, but you recognize Iranians as hostile and Muslims as not believing like we believe. And he throws that in the lineage too. And on and on he goes to basically say, yes, God knows the mess of humanity. And the mess of humanity is welcomed in as a part of God's family. So this Christmas, no matter where you are, I hope that you could look at this list of names and realize there is nothing that Matthew could have done to more powerfully communicate that we are all welcomed into the family of this little baby that came to us 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us as graphically as you can that you get scandal. You know it. You know our lives. You know our junk and our ugliness. And yet you welcome us in as your children anyhow. Help us to see the power of what Jesus did on the cross and the forgiveness that is available and the love you have for us as shown in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.